We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part, it's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Blue Wire. All right, Jack, you good to go? Yeah, my. All right. <clears throat> I'll show you one second. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Pain. Only pain. It, it was a painful loss for the Nets. 123-122 to the Washington Wizards. Uh, man, they had a chance to win it at the end. A shot from Kyrie Irving, a shot from Kevin Durant. You know, the KD shot is one that we typically like. Kyrie maybe, you know, pull up three, not ideal in that situation. But before we get into it, as always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, what were your thoughts on uh, the final shot from Kyrie Irving? Well, the second why, final shot. Why do you take a three? Like, why settle? Like, you can get to your spot. You don't need to take one of the hardest... Hardest shots you can take in basketball, the pull-up three, when you have time on the clock and you can get to your spots, play a little bit, look for, like, you know, get to your area, get a little bit closer, drive on them. Yeah, we weren't getting a lot of calls tonight, although we're getting late calls, but it just it was a bad shot. And, like, you know, not, 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 to, not to quote Paul George, but it was a bad shot. Yeah, it was a rough shot. And even the fact – I didn't like the idea of taking it from full court either. My, my mind of thinking is do you try to get that shot up as fast as possible because you want to continue to extend the game. The Nets happen to get the offensive rebound, but let's hypothetically say Washington got it. You can still foul in that situation. You're only down one, and then you have a chance to tie the game on another possession. So I didn't like the time management aspect you know, 
separately. And then the shot again, like you said, Jack, being a three in that situation, why? Like, what's the point? And it's also like Washington doesn't have five quality defenders. Like, who, I don't I don't recall who was on the floor in that situation, but I'm going to assume Westbrook was one of those guys. You know what I mean? Like, everybody on the – I don't really know of anybody on the roster I would consider a good defender. And the fact is they couldn't even get, you know, a good shot at the end or they settled for a three just kind of – it kind of said, you know, it's kind of almost a perfect example of this game for the Nets. It really is. There was just, uh, I, I don't know. It was, there was just not a, it was such a bad performance, yet the Nets almost won it. They didn't deserve to win this game. It was basically the superstars that almost took them over the line and some, you know, key clutch Joe Harris buckets and some nice defensive plays uh, at times from, from Jeff Green as well. But it was a poor, poor performance all around. Nick, I wanted to bring to you Bobby Marks, former Nets GM. Or assistant GM or whatever the hell he was, that dumb mass from ESPN, uh, has put out a couple of things, Nick. Brooklyn is certainly talented on the offensive end by my question now, seven games into the season. Is this team tough enough? Do they have enough that wants to get their hands dirty and do the little things? You know, as much as uh, we give Bobby Marks a hard time, he does bring up a pretty good point. I think they lack physicality at times and they lack some of those energy plays in which we talked about. And it's also like, you kind of hit on it. They were in this game because of their talent. Like, they were out of sorts on both ends of the floor. Like, at times, the offense, just, like, they didn't know what they were doing, and they were just, like, sitting there watching each other 10 seconds into the shot clock. Like, the defense, we already know there's a million problems, but, like, the fact that the offense isn't as easy as it can be, like, yeah, they scored 122 points, but it wasn't necessarily in an easy fashion. It was like, okay, Katie and Kyrie, you just were really good. Yeah, and th there was some times where the ball movement was better the type of shots taken today were better. But in saying that, yeah, uh, there was just some real just head-scratching moments. and uh, Some of the uh, passes we saw at the end of that third quarter, that just wasn't even NBA-level basketball. Guys were just, like, throwing the ball where they expected people to be. And it's like, yeah, I get it. It's a new team. But you should at least have some sort of vision where you're throwing the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, turnovers killed the Nets. You know, Kyrie Irving wanted Jared Allen to give him the sort of handoff. And, you know... Uh, it's going to get the, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the number one segment on first take and every other sports talk show going forward. It's yeah. simple as that because they're not winning basketball games and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are saying things that need to be said. It's everyone else. It's not those two. Yes, Kyrie Irving shot at the end of the game deserves criticism. It was a terrible shot. It's a bad shot, as Paul George said, like I said earlier. But that wasn't the reason why we lost the game. The reason why we lost the game is because we gave up turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. We gave up rebounds, rebounds, rebounds. And I don't understand how the Nets won the rebounding battle. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. I think it was the offensive glass that really lost us the game, 13-7. to 7. Yeah, I think point um, second chance points, I want to say, was like something like 17-4. to 4. And even looking at the Wizards, they didn't shoot super well in this game. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the Nets shot really well, and they still they lost the game, and the Wizards scored 123 points not shooting well. Like, the I'll look up the final stats on that, but it, it was definitely not a good number for them. Yeah, 41% from the field and 36% from three. 36% from three is solid, but 41% from the field, you typically lose. You want to know the reason why, Nick? They had 23 more shots than the Brooklyn Nets. 23 more shots. How do you good. get... Like, okay, so that's, let's average that out per quarter. That's nearly six shots per quarter. That's six opportunities to score, you know, 12 points to 18 points. And yet the Nets still only lost by one point. You can't give up the basketball that easily. You just can't. And the, the activity on the glass, uh, the defensive miscommunications, 
there was just so many things that went wrong tonight. The only things that went right were, I don't know what went right tonight. You know, KD, you know, and yeah. sometimes, and, and even like KD. And even that had, went wrong because he only had 15 shots. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's just stupid. Like it's dumb that the best player in basketball right now has 15 shots and Kyrie Irving takes the last shot again. I said on the last pod that, you know, I, I thought that Kai gets a, a, a bit blinkers on, you know, in yeah. certain periods of the game. This was that again. It's like, all right, I'm going to tank his time. I'm going to win it for us. And like, why as well were we taking it from full court when we could have had it at the half court? Yep. You would have got an extra couple of seconds as well there. I, I mean, there's certain things that Kai getting a runway is fine. But if you're going to take the runway, you use that momentum to get to the line or get to like 10, 12 feet. Not to 25, 27 feet. I just thought that if that's going to be the case, you're better off hitting a shot in rhythm, you know, with a couple of steps and a bit more composure than stopping and propping like Damian Lillard or, you know, he's done in the past, Kyrie Irving. But it's just not a good shot. And there's a lot that went wrong tonight, Nick. And, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kim and Durant made a lot of good things happen. Their passing was quite good. I thought that they were looking to get their teammates. They're looking to push the push the issue in a lot of respects. But down the end, down the stretch, it just, ah, it I just, just wasn't don't good. understand. My opinion, what I would run in that situation, obviously I'm not an NBA head coach, but I would go obviously take the ball in the inbound on the other side of the floor and I'd run a pick and pop with KD and Kyrie. Let your two best players be in an action and let them make a decision. Okay, they want to switch a bigger guy into Kyrie. Cool, Kyrie's going to drive to the rim and get a shot that he likes. Oh, they want to double-team Kyrie? Kevin Durant's going to get an open three. You know what I mean? Or you're going to force some type of rotation where you can get a shot that you want. I, I just feel like... Nash was like, all right, you know, you guys do your thing instead of drawing up a play. And I get it. Like teams like to do that when they have superstar players. But when you have two superstars, like let them play off of each other and do something. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And, you know, the, the KD Steph Curry pick and roll was used very sparingly by Steve Kerr in Golden State. And we've seen it very sparingly by Steve Nash so far. But when it matters the most, you want your two best players, your two best shot makers, two of the best shot makers in the game, creating and yep. creating for each other. You know what? All right, Kai's going to get a mismatch here or Katie's going to get a mismatch here. One of them is going to get the mismatch, whether it's KD on Russell Westbrook or Kyrie on Russell Westbrook or KD on Thomas Bryant or Or maybe Kyrie. open three for Joe Harris. Like, like it's, just, it, it's just dumb. Like... The read and react thing that we heard at the start of the season is just like, oh man, man, this is just going to improve. It's going to flow so much, and you, know, you want your best players to just have their the the impetus to to make their own decision out there on the floor. But let's run some sets, man. Like, let's just do something. I, said and I that think last... that's a lot harder to do, Jack, without Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, you could do the re react because you have a natural passer out there. Where so now it's just kind of like forcing these guys. And like you said, sets would be nice. <laughs> We saw yeah. a couple sets with the second unit. I will say that. I want to say it was in the third quarter where I think Steve Nash realized, like, hey, like this second unit needs some help out there in terms of figuring out what they can do. Because we've talked about a little bit on the last show, like Karis LeVert is struggling right now. And if he doesn't have it going, no one else in that second unit can create. And we've seen Torian Prince and Landry Shamit try to do it. And typically it ends up in like a turnover or a bad play. It does. And um, funnily enough, Nick, those second ch chance points, Brooklyn's dead last heading into the game in second chance points at 20.6 per game. And that's via Bobby Marks, who's, you know, so finally doing something right in relation to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but in, in saying that, we've got some quotes from Steve Nash, Nick, and we can talk about the turnovers first. Steve Nash chalks, and this is by Alex Schiffer, Steve Nash chalks up the Nets turnovers to being uncharacteristic and careless. 
Yeah, but it's been uncharacteristic and careless for the entire season. When does it stop being uncharacteristic and careless and you need to start making an adjustment? Because then the Wizards just, like, made... They, they They're terrible killed them. They killed them off it. And you're giving them three points. 23 points of turnovers. We had 20 of them. And it's not like the it was a sort of back and forth and the, and the Wizards were, were getting, like, 15 or something themselves. They had seven. So it's like... The Nets weren't good enough defensively to force turnovers, and the Nets were giving them shots. You know, those 23 extra shots that I said at the, at the start of the podcast, that's the key reason why the Brooklyn Nets lost. You give another team 23 extra possessions to shoot the basketball, you aren't going to win. It doesn't matter if you have Kendra and Kyrie Irving on your team. Yeah, no, you're right, Jack. And even just looking at the turnovers, just look at it this way. Let's say they have eight less turnovers and they have a more acceptable number in 12. Like, you're, they're shooting almost 50% from the field. That's four more made shots. That's eight points. You know what I mean? That's the difference in the game. And the Nets win, oh, not easily, but they win with a little bit of a cushion. So it's just so many dynamics that are just going wrong for the Nets. And I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the defensive issues, but tonight Washington put on full display. Like, the Nets over-switched, and they would just constantly get switches on smaller guys, be it, you know, Rui Hachimura having Joe Harris in the post or Russell Westbrook having Landry Shamit or Thomas Bryant getting Kyrie Irving or whatever it might be. The amount of switches we saw in the smaller players and not getting help, it's just giving away baskets in the paint. Len, look, that, that, there, was, there was time and time and time again. You know, it literally just kept on happening, and, and the Nets couldn't change it. They couldn't figure out how to do it. He paint points. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then it's, it's a scenario you don't want to give up points in any sort of respect of the word, especially to Russell Westbrook. You know, that's where they are an inside-out team. That's yeah. the, They're not going to take the mid-range. I mean, Russell Westbrook will take some poor shots, and he did tonight. Missed but, you know, he was big. Yeah, he missed a lot, but he didn't miss the ones that mattered in the final quarter. You know, he was he was big then. And, you know, he was bitching like he, like he likes to do, and he got a lot of calls that he probably shouldn't have got. But, you know, the, he made the refs make those calls. And, I don't know. You know, I put it on Twitter and I'm, I stand by it. You know, replace the Landry Shamit minutes with Bruce Brown. You know, at the very least, if Landry Shamit's giving you nothing offensively, then Bruce Brown's going to give you nothing offensively and something defensively. At the very least. It's just... Uh, I, I think keep... he'd be more likely to help on the boards, too, just given his physicality. You know what I mean? I don't have his rebounding numbers in front of me, but Bruce Brown seems like a guy that would be down to get in the dirty business. You know what I mean? Yeah, look, and, and, and I think that Kevin Durant continues to set the tone there. That's one thing that him and Jared Allen deserve a lot of credit for. They're really showing desire and effort there. But, you know, Torian Prince in, in years past was, was a guy who set the tone there. When he's out there in the second unit, I'm not seeing enough there from him. You know, I'll, I'll get the, the box score up. But, you know, Jared Allen, you know, Kevin Durant had 11 boards. Um, we had Jared Allen had 11 boards, including two offensive boards. And DeAndre Jordan had five. Wow. Uh, surprise, surprise there from DeAndre <laughs> Jordan. But only 15 minutes, which is something that I'm pretty happy to see. But Torian, and Torian Prince had five, so I guess I'm a little bit surprised by that. It's, I don't know. I just thought that the mentality and the timing on the boards and when the boards were happening and giving up offensive boards, you know, all those extra possessions, offensive boards gets that, missed shots gets that, turnovers gets that. And it just, it just, it just led to just poor, poor play on that end of the floor. But Nick, Alex also got this quote from Steve Nash on the final shot. Nash wanted the Nets to push it full court had two screens on it, and liked the shot Irving got as well as Durant. All right, he's talking shit. Like, you can't like the shot he's the Kyrie Irving a, got. You know, he's just being a player's coach. He's being incredibly pragmatic, but it's just at certain times you've got to be like, oh, no, nah, I would have preferred Kyrie Irving to drive it there. And if it pisses Kyrie Irving off, so what? You're the coach. And as much as I'm not like, you know, coach dictator, coach says all sort of thing, you've got to show a little... And maybe he did like that shot, 
but I don't, and I don't think a lot of other Nets fans did. And I think that he's showing a level of just playing it safe, playing it like Sweden, that it's just like, come on, man. Like, you don't have to appease every single player on the roster all the freaking time. You know, give Bruce Brown, like, oh, yeah, he's going to be out there. He's going to be ready. Then give him some goddamn minutes. Like, it's... I'm getting a little bit over of the pleasantries. Like, it was fun yeah. in the preseason. And we mentioned it. It's just like, he's saying all the right things. He's so good with the media. But right now, like, it, this isn't what you're paid for right now. You're paid to coach. And if you say the right thing, if you say some dumb things and get a bit angry and get attacked like Scott Brooks did or, or whatever, then that's what we want to sort of see, you know? I just don't think... And this was definitely a tech-worthy game because of all the late calls. Like, that alone is enough to frustrate a coach. You know what I mean? And you you hinted at it, Jack. Like, Westbrook would literally complain about not getting a call, and they would call the foul. Like, what? He's not LeBron James. If it happens to LeBron, it's annoying as hell, but he's LeBron. This is Russell Westbrook. He's sporadic and out of control. And that one play where Jared Allen barely even touched him, he got the call. I was just like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? And the rest, (laughs) I don't know if, like, they're missing preseason or what. It just seems like a lot of these calls that are kind of easy, you're seeing other refs have to come in and make the call from the other side of the court. Like, for example, that Kyrie Irving one where he got slapped on the arm. And the, the one ref like, that's standing he got there slapped on the arm, and Bradley Beal's complaining about the one on Kevin Durant, where it's just like the arm is not part of the basketball, you dickhead. Like I don't understand, like the the, the way that the, and the whole bench was erupting about it, and yeah. KD's just like, "You got my arm, dude." Like he's just like, "What the hell is going on here?" It's just it was idiocy from the the officials tonight. It's not the reason why we lost the yeah. game, but there was just so many dumb calls where it's just like. This is Bird Box Take 2, the sequel with Sandra Bullock. I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, there are so many... It's like Russell Westbrook gets angry, so he deserves a call. Well, if Karis Levert gets angry, he gets a tech. Now, we can talk about Karis Levert a little bit later, but there was just so much inconsistency and incongruency and just stupidity from the officials. And look, the Brooklyn Nets were pretty damn stupid themselves tonight. But the officials, you would think, actually, Nick, to say it, it would be easier to ref and officiate without crowds, without the external yeah. circumstances of that, because you don't have the yelling and the, the influence from home teams or whatever. But it seems to me that there's even more inconsistencies, and I'm not saying it's against the Brooklyn Nets. And it's there was across some, the league, to be honest. And there were some dumb calls in there, and we might have to chat about it on the outlet a little bit, but there was just dumb calls aplenty, and um, stupidity seemed to reign supreme tonight. Yeah, it really did. And like you said, that's not the reason the Nets lost. It didn't obviously help. But this was a game they could have easily won. Like, if they put together just, like, some decent quarters, they win this game. You know what I mean? It's just, like, they can't put things together for the entire stretch. You see, let's see, look, going through quarter to quarter, Washington wins the first quarter 29-28. Washington loses the second quarter 41-43. to Third quarter goes in favor of Washington 24-22. And quarter four is 29-29. So the Nets couldn't outplay Washington for one quarter at the end of the game and essentially just <laughs> lost by one. So it's just like it's they were so bad for the first three quarters. And all they had to do is kind of put together a good 12 minutes of basketball and they had this game and they couldn't do it. No, they couldn't. And some of that is on Steve Nash not being able to make the right rotations. And he seemed to have found like, all right, cool, I'm going to stagger the minutes now. But then there's times where it's just like, don't stagger the minutes. So there's times where it's just like, all right, Jeff Green came in too late. Or why wasn't Jared, Al- uh, Jared Allen out there for the final couple of possessions for rebounding purposes? Yep. It's not like Jared Allen was poor. Yes, like he, he gets bodied a little bit sometimes. And Thomas Bryant seems to outplay him quite consistently. And it, it's more just pick and pop sort of related. And Jeff Green was good there. He was really good there. But at the same time, 
in closing final possessions where rebounding is your issue. And Steve Nash said this to Brian Lewis. Steve Nash thinks that they'll turn it over, even um, they'll, they'll turn it around, even though tonight's number of 20 was high in relation to the turnovers. But he admits that rebounding is the problem. You can change that by putting on the team's best rebounder. Like, whether you sub out TLC, maybe. Like, uh, like and TLC, I mean, he was there for the clutch bucket and, and running out by the awesome outlet pass from Kevin Durant. I thought his passing was tremendous tonight. We can dive deep into the players once we get through the, the crux of this game. But, like, you're making it... Like, it's the, it's the DJ Khaled uh, gif all over again. Congratulations, you played yourself. You're talking about a problem you could remedy. Yet you're saying that that's the problem. How do you fix the problem? I don't know. Play maybe the... the He's the second best rebounding percentage player in the NBA behind only Andre Drummond, and he's playing like 25 minutes a game. I mean, he should be playing in the 30 minutes. There's no doubt about that. He should be starting. DeAndre Jordan shouldn't even be getting freaking goddamn minutes. Play Reggie Perry above that goddamn Timberland scrub. Fuck. <laughs> <But>, uh, sorry. <laughs> the Timberland scrub. No, but you're you're right, Jack, in the sense of like. Yo, you, you know Steve Nash. You can play Kevin Durant at the three. That's not against the law. Like, you can play Jeff Green at the four, especially if you're getting murdered on the boards, and Washington's going to play big. Like, Davis Bertans and Rui Hashimura are closer to fours than Torian Prince, TLC. You know what I mean? And all these guys, the Nets try to play at the four, try to have defend fours. Like, I, I just really – it was just a really frustrating game because – you could see the Nets were the more talented team, but they could not execute. And that's on the players, and it's also on the coaches. And also, like you said, Jack, like, hey, we can switch up the rotation. Like, Bruce uh, Bruce Brown can get in there. Rodion's could even freaking get in there. Tyler Johnson can get in there. Chris Chiosi can get in there. I don't care. Just play somebody else because the second unit is, like, really bad right now. There's just, Shit. like, a, a, just nothing going on. And it's like, I don't even know if the staggering's working completely. It's just, like... It just feels everything is all over the place and nothing is in sync yet. 2020 has reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidate instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only site that moves as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win the season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbooks expert. Yeah, like, Karis LeVert is, is clearly struggling, and a lot of that is on him and his incredibly poor shot, select, shot selection and lack of aggression in getting to the line. We can, again, dive deep into players, but, you know, I, I had literally here in the third, in my second quarter notes, second unit stinks, and it stinks. It is It has been really bad, you know, looking at the stats, if you look at the the um, the metrics when you go to NBA.com, it's not getting it done. And yep. staggering might certainly help that if Katie or Kyrie out there. And I like Kyrie with Karis Avert a little bit, but Kyrie's not necessarily a guy that's going to be a, a, a point guard. You know, you'd be better out there with Spencer and Karis, but we don't have Spencer yep. right now. And a guy who can maybe do that a little bit, and a guy who I posted a video highlights package of who killed the Nets last year, is Bruce Brown. He said in the preseason, Nick, that he's going to surprise some people with some of his point guard skills, his playmaking skills. I like and look, Chris Chioza could do that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm so even Tyler much... Johnson could do it. Like Tyler Johnson showed it in the bubble. Like it wasn't amazing, but he was a nice secondary ball handler next to Karras. I felt like they had nice chemistry, and like Chioza, pretty much the same thing. It's just like you clearly can see that second unit does not have enough creation. Like it's no. Karras averts a good player, and even at his best, even if he was peak level Karras, that's still a lot to ask of him. He's never going to be Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. Like he's not going to carry the entire offensive load when literally no other player on the floor can create for themselves. Like Landry Shamit, like we have an idea, maybe he has some point guard skills. They're not developed. Torian Prince, that ship has sailed. Jeff Green never really was his game. He'll occasionally give you a bucket, and obviously Jared Allen isn't creating for himself. So it's just like. What are we doing here? You're just you're making it easy for the second unit defenses too, because all they essentially have to do is either stop Karis Avert from driving or stop the Jared Allen Karis Avert pick and roll. It's yeah, there's a simplicity to it on both ends that just makes it easy for the opposition, like you mentioned there, Nick. And you know there has to be some level of change if it continues to be a problem, because you know the early points of the season it was all working. You know Karis was getting to the line a little bit, took six three throws against the Golden State Warriors. He's taken two since two. I, I I remember I was just like during the game tonight I'm like you know what I'm gonna check out B-ball ref and see how many free throws he's taken um, this season. I felt he like he should have probably got four tonight. There was the one play where he got really heated and he clearly gets slapped on the wrist, and then the one against Robin Lopez. I felt like there was enough contact to give him a free throws on that play. And that and the reason why he didn't get the calls there, and then after that he didn't get to the line at all. Maybe it was just like well they're not gonna call anything, so I'm just gonna take these mid range. I'm gonna take these. Yeah. Pull up threes that it's the just pull like... up threes. He's just gotta the pull up three is only something you can go to if your other shot is falling, or it's like once a game or something. But like if you're in a funk, that's a tough shot. We just complained that Kyrie Irving took that shot. Like, why are you taking that shot, Karis? I, I'm not as upset about some of the mid range and the floater stuff because I feel like that's part of his game, especially in the second unit offense. And they're just shots he's not hitting. But the pull up threes, it's just like you don't need to do that, especially early in the shot clock. Or you know, I think some of the decisions at the shot clock timing is what frustrates me the most. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll argue against the fact that you don't, I don't mind the mid-rangers. I don't. You know, I think that his greatest skill like last season and such was his aggression and the ability to get to the line and, and to put the pressure on the defenses. How many, we've seen one wrap, no, two wraparound passes, at least from memory, where he's got, he's penetrated so much that he's wrapped around the ball to DJ or Jared Allen this season. He's done that twice. Whereas like in, in, in seasons past, it was like his signature move. And he just, he, there's this timid nature. And on some of the shots that you're talking about, the, the pull-ups, the floaters, the mid-rangers, 
it's all of them are short. I, like I can't remember once where he's overshot it. So that to me shows that you know he, it's flatter, and I don't know what it is, Nick. But you know, it's usually it's almost, fatigue. If you're shooting everything short, it's typically fatigue because well, you're shouldn't not. Be, he shouldn't be fatigued though. To be honest, like it's not I like mean, he's playing. He did just carry the team in the bubble by himself, and yeah, but yeah, but like with yeah, but Jack, what, you like you, I, I think like you're underestimating. I'm not saying like he's he's obviously he could be fatigued or he could be conditioned, but it's not like every player in the NBA is in, in great shape right now, given the shortened off season. Oh yeah, and and, look, and we don't even know he could have rehabbed an injury over the off season and not trained as much. Like I think that's like it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to be fatigued and getting his minutes conditioned right now. No, look, that's totally fine and it could be a totally reasonable expectation but he's also playing less minutes than he was last season as well the the burden on him in terms of minute load is better so you would expect a higher intensity and a greater execution in a shortened span but again it's an adjustment i just i'm and i said on the last podcast and i put it out there as a little bit of a clip before the game today that you know karis's form if karis isn't going to be the third best player on this team right now the Nets are struggling because right now he's not. He's, he's like the fifth. Joe Harris is playing better. Jared Allen's playing better. He's And look, you can. Uh, I'm not making an argument for anyone else. It's Karis LeVert's probably the fifth best player on this team right now. Is Am, am I wrong? No, I think you're, you're right. But it's also like obviously his role is substantially different than Joe and Jared Allen's where it's kind of more plug and play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Joe Harris is playing off of guys. And agree that Karis is struggling. The second unit doesn't have enough creation. And I think like to an extent – it's somewhat predictable. And also the book is a little bit out on him. You know what I mean? Like you don't like the mid-range shots, but you also can't drive every play. That's why Westbrook's not effective. Like it just, it just doesn't work. So you need to mix it up and he needs to hit those floaters or those elbow jumpers just to kind of keep the defense honest, because if they're pulling out that far, then he can get in the lane. It's really the difference. Yeah. And look tonight, um, his stat line, six points on three of 13 shooting, didn't get to the line, five boards, five assists. Uh, three blocks, you know. I think the three block. The, I thought they felt like a, more like steals, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I didn't felt think that, any of them were blocks. <laughs> and I thought that there was a little bit of inconsistency from him on that end of the floor, and there has been, you know, quite literally all season. Um, and it's the Carlos Levert experience when it comes to defense, especially. But you know, that inconsistency, you know, is becoming pronounced, and we can't. He's so important to this team right now, especially with Spencer Dinwiddie out. And when he looked at his best in the, the brief moments, it's when he was out there with both KD and Kyrie and Joe Harris because you know the, he's not asked to do every single little thing. And it's not to say that he can't. It's just that you know the level of support for him right now is there. Like, it's on the roster. Like, you know, Steve Nash can go, you know what, let's throw out... I a, like the way Steve Nash handled the situation in the second quarter where he was really frustrated. I feel like it would have been very easy to kind of put him on the bench, but he kind of encouraged him and tried to get him out of the funk. I don't know how much of an effect it had, but I felt like he played a little bit better after that. His shot selection, I think, in the third quarter was still kind of rough, but that's when he got the steal. Well, they have registered as blocks, but steals. He had he was running in transition, so it's just like you said. I think kind of just getting him back to a smaller role, or maybe it's even just getting a point guard on the second unit. Yeah, I don't know, Nick. I don't know. Um, are there is there any guys you want, you want to jump into next? Yeah, let's. Uh, we can go with Jared Allen. I feel like. You know, Jared Allen, it did have some success in this game. And obviously, he's just such a great option for the Nets offense in terms of like, I think their on off numbers with him are probably ridiculous after this game just because of like the offense he provides and an offensive rating. He was minus five here, but like, 
they just click so much more because he's such a better option as a vertical spacer. You saw Kyrie hit him a couple of times, and it just forces the defense in such a tough situation. And I feel like he's starting to get better synergy with those guys. I think some of the toughness he needs to get better. He needs to just kind of learn to use his quickness in those situations where the guys are more physical. Beat them to the spot, force the offensive foul, or reach in and kind of swipe at the ball. You have to do something to make them uncomfortable. Too many times he just kind of sits there in the post and allows himself to get bodied. Yeah, and and I thought that other than, you know, we know he lacks the the frame to, to go up against the bruises, and when he loses position and when it's deep, you know, it's almost going to be a bucket. You know, if Thomas Bryant gets straight down there, but, you know, you still look at his stat lines, and I still four thought blocks. that he was, yeah, four blocks, and, and all of them are, like, blocks where it's just like, man. And then he, like, recovers and almost gets, like, a second block as well. You know, the, the recovery speed from uh, a center like him, it, it, you don't normally see it. You know, he's incredibly quick and, and it's nimble. Elite. It's it's really elite. You know, 14 points, uh, 11 boards, including two offensive ones. I uh, had four blocks. And what I'm loving, Nick, and I've said this in the in previous pods, eight of nine from the free throw line. Yeah. Loving that. Loving that. He, I feel like at times in the past, he's kind of almost scared to get the ball. Now he's feeling more comfortable in the paint and understanding that if he just goes up, he's probably going to get free throws because they're going to be swiping at the ball. You know what I mean? So it's a nice little add to his game. He had a couple push shots tonight. Still a little bit off, but if he can develop those, that would be such a game changer for the offense because then he just becomes that much more important. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, it's... Oh, man, the I'm, one pass where he tried to force his Landry Shamit on the cut when KD was open at the three-point line. That one was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, there was a lot of those passes tonight. Yeah. He, had, he had one of them. I think KD had one of them. I think Kyrie had a couple of them. There was just... Green had some. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And look, there's just a lot of turnovers, Nick, and hopefully turnovers are easily correctable. Rebounding, not not as much, and defense. I think that that's – I'm not as necessarily as worried about the turnovers as much as probably they are the most frustrating thing because they are the most visible and they turn into points and they turn into extra possessions for the other team. But I think they're the most easily correctable. It's just like don't be so dumb with the ball in your hands. Especially against a team like the Wizards. It's not like we played the Toronto Raptors and they forced 10 steals or something. You know what I mean? A lot of these were just terrible passes. Like, I just, it's almost like they're trying to get their teammates involved too much at times. Like, I remember there was one play where Jeff Green tried to squeeze the ball to Kevin Durant when he literally had no one in front of him and he could have just drove to the rim. Yeah. Like, there was, it seems like the Nets are doing too much on both ends of the floor. They're going over the top with the helping. Or then it, 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 it's like no, they're literally doing either too much or they're doing nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's no middle ground at this point. And we saw some pretty good lead. And look, um, the video is going around and I, I'm loving the video where KD, the, the initial one in, in the early part of the game where KD's like to Joe, he's like, don't help. Don't help. I initially, and, I, and a lot of people probably got caught up in it as well, which is like Joe help. But it's like the possession that they were alluding to was KD had uh, Rui Hachimura down low, and then Joe goes to double, leaving Denny Avdia open for the three. And then on the next position, KD gets to the line, or there's a turnover, or whatever, and there's a stoppage. And KD's like to Joe, don't help. And I'm just like, I like this. It's just like coaching on the floor. You know, I think that his leadership has been immense this season. I don't think he's getting credit for that, but he deserves a lot for it. And then at the half as well, I'm not necessarily sure what was said, but as they were heading in, you know, he stops Joe Harris and he's just like, all right, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. The thing is, though, Nick, Joe is soaking this up. It's not like he's like he's not showing upset. Him. Yeah, no, I don't think any Nets player is going to be upset with Kevin Durant giving them tips. I think he wants it. He's soaking yep. this up. And like, you know, the... 
three-point foul that he gave to Russell Westbrook was stupid, you know, and just dumb. Like he, I kind of felt like Davis uh, Davis Bertans kind of gave him a little bump there, but that's just me. And look, you know, Joe was in, incredibly frustrated. And we, we saw some reporters tweet out the fact that it was like audible that they could hear Joe like smash the table. And I'm like, this is the mentality I think Joe is having this season. You know, there was a, a real key clutch three that, that gave the Nets the lead you know, in the midpoint of the fourth quarter and Joe's like, and they called the timeout and Joe's like, I got you, I got you. And I'm just like, there's a mentality shift from, from Joe Harris now where he knows he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He knows his importance and value to this team on both ends of the floor. And he knows he needs to be better in, in, in certain defensive sets. He needs to have better awareness, better intelligence. And obviously he's going to get caught out a, a couple of times here and there, but he's not going to get caught out here and there for a, a lack of trying because he's showing a lot more effort than some other guys can probably on this roster can be uh, called out for. He's just physically limited, and teams are just attacking him because they're playing so small. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, like, yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving just got switched on this big guy. Joe's going to come in and try to help him. But, like, Joe Harris is only, like, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's got a good frame. It's not like he has a crazy avert or anything. He's not going to be able to, to bang with these guys down low. So it's almost like putting in somewhat, somewhat of a disadvantage. I mean, to be honest, like, to get Joe some more shots, I wouldn't mind seeing him play a little bit with the second unit at times, especially because of some of the synergy we've seen between Karis Avert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen. Like, in the bubble, they had some great plays together. We saw a lot of stuff Jock Vaughn drew up for all three of those guys. Maybe that could just be enough to help Karis Avert a little bit, somebody that he can count on and somebody the defense has to to react to. Yeah, look, and Nick, um, we've got some quotes from Matt. He's, uh, Kyrie and Katie are currently chatting. Um, and he's talking about, Kyrie's talking a little bit about just the frustration and the overhelping and such. So I'll, and Matt sort of said to himself, he's like, you know, he's trying to put up the full quotes, but he's doing it in the moment and stuff. So Kyrie Irving said, it's just early rust. Sometimes the team's in the wrong spots and overhelping. Um, saying they're not, they're not get fr getting frustrated over just six games. Um, and so it, it seems to me that the level-headed nature of Kyrie Irving at this point in time, you know, it's, I think that, it's better. It's much better that they have the mentality that they do than the mentality that me and you do because uh, I can't imagine. I think it's much more frustrating as a fan because we know what needs to be changed and we think it's just an easy sort of flip the switch sort of thing. But it is a process and I understand that and it's maybe taken me 25 minutes into this podcast and to hear it from uh, one of our two superstars and, and see it on Twitter from uh, the great Matt Brooks. But Look, and even Kevin Durant himself sort of saying about the turnovers. I had six turnovers. I'm turning over the ball too much. Look, but uh, there's just that I think that there's eventually going to be that balance. You know, some of the best teams that win championship have rust early on in establishing their identity, their principles, and executing on them. We know, and the good thing is, we sort of know what those principles are. And sometimes it's just like it takes ages to establish any form of identity. We know what the identity is. It's ball movement. It's it's moving. It's, it's sharing. It's getting good looks. It's getting out in transition. It's getting out in the fast break. And then defensively, it's switching. It's executing. It's being able to make the the defense sort of rotate and and, and making and, and make it harder for them. But at the same time, you know, it's six games in and it's. Not going to be uh, all days at this point in time. And look, there are a lot of teams that are showing inconsistencies, even the best teams in the league. So um, I'm, hearing it from Kyrie Irving makes me feel a little more comfortable, I guess. Yeah, and I think we said pretty much some of the same stuff. You know, seven games into the season, there's going to be rust, there's going to be issues. It's a new team, a new coaching staff. Then also another thing to take into account is the lack of practice. 
because the season is shortened. You know, I think Steve Nash alluded to that they only had a film session in between these la- in between the last game. So it's like they didn't even get back on the court to kind of correct some of these things. And some of the stuff is just going to take reps. You know what I mean? It's going to be learning the the behaviors of your teammates and what they can do and what they can't do. And it's funny. It's like they talk so much about overhelping, but there's so many times where they underhelp. We're like when yeah. Kyrie Irving has Thomas Bryant in the post, like what the hell is Kyrie Irving doing against Thomas Bryant? Like he literally has six inches and a hundred pounds on him. And why is Kyrie in the post in the first place? Like yeah. how has that rotation forced him down low? Like at the very least, it can be Karras or Jeff or Torian or or whoever else or you know Jared Allen or KD. But you know it shouldn't be a guard down there. It shouldn't be Karras. It, sh- it, it shouldn't. Sorry, it shouldn't be Kyrie. It shouldn't be Landry. It shouldn't be those guys. Um, Kevin Durant what you see that- from really good defenses, Jack, is usually, oh, shit, Kyrie got switched in the post. That other defender instantly realizes they're going to switch right away, and they're going to do it so fast that the other team can't react. You know what I yep. mean? That's what you would see from Golden State. Golden State was so good at that and reacting and rotating. Obviously, one of the best defenses we've probably seen in the last 10 years. But the Nets need to get better with the rotations. They're just not clean. And when they do help, it's just too many times where they're just like stuck there, and they don't relocate. Yeah, Houston really good at that as well. Yeah, you know, even even last season uh, for, for certain points and 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 before that with Chris Paul as well because Chris in Toronto too obviously. Yeah, yep. There's a lot of teams and look at, at this point in time the Nets are a bad defensive team. It's and to be simple. honest, that's not a real realistic expectation for myself for this team at this point in time. Look, I, I think that there's if we didn't see any glimpses like we did in the Boston Celtics game. <laughs> I would be a lot more worried. And I think that a lot of more general pundits who haven't watched every single game and recapped every single game are like, man, this team plays no defense. They have nothing in line. Where it's just like, we kind of see it because we know what the principles are. We know what they're trying to do. And we know how they can execute when it is locked on. And against the Boston Celtics, who are one of the better teams in the NBA, you know, it, it looked pretty damn good. Nick, uh, via Alex Schiffer, Kevin Durant said in reference to his don't help me comment to Joe Harris in the first half that he saw someone coming over when he had his man bottled up. Said if he uh, has someone inside the three-point line and they pick up their dribble, leave him be. He's got him. Kevin Durant just knows basketball, man. He's he's just so damn smart. Yeah, and I actually think I know exactly what play he was talking about. He had Rui kind of like on the baseline almost, and he picked up the dribble, and it's just like, Katie doesn't really need help. And if Rui's going to hit tough shots, he hit a couple tonight. You're going to live with it. A double team's not going to change a turnaround fadeaway shot over a seven-footer. Yep, yep. Oh, and look, in, in relation to this to the six turnovers, he said, I've got to turn it down if our team is going to be successful. This is the sort of thing that you like to hear from your team leaders. Like, yeah. you know, if it was Paul George, it's like, oh, well, it was Doc Rivers not calling the, the right sets for me. Whereas Kevin Durant is taking the onus upon himself and going, I need to be better. And look, he does. Like, you know, as, for as much good as he did tonight, and look, the six turnovers it, were because he was trying to get his teammates open and such, but yeah, it wasn't the best. And a few of them were just kind of like guys were, I think, were supposed to be in spots and they weren't there. Or they relocated where Katie's kind of expecting you, let me kind of do my work and I'll throw it out, you know, the three-point shot to you. Yeah. Um, Nick, in relation to the timeouts, we can have a little bit of chat about that. You know, we saw Kyrie Irving call out one. <laughs> uh, and Kevin Durant said this in relation to Steve Nash. Steve knows when to call timeouts. He knows what he's doing over there. We all trust him. That's via Matt Brooks. Do you trust him, Nick? I think he still is developing. I'll say that. I, I won't be able to give him a full grade on anything until we see it throughout the year. And we see this team 
actually running the systems they're supposed to be running because right now they're not executing and that's pretty clear from even not knowing the exact scheme they're supposed to run just based off the communication and stuff it's just not smooth and they're just not in sync and they're not in rhythm and i think also just like one thing he needs to change is he's just kind of playing too small i think a lot and the team other teams are just seeing it and they're just like okay well we're just going to continue to body them and it might be as easy as just finding a better small forward or finding a real power forward so KD can play the three because I thought KD looked really good defensively against Bradley Beal tonight. Yeah, I, I think that KD's he's the best player in the NBA, Nick. And I, I think that if people are watching, and, and there's like ways you where like... You should Irving that. I mean, yeah, he's being limited by Kyrie in certain respects. Kyrie's getting a little bit of hero ball about him, and I'm sure KD is fine with it, but... You know, maybe KD needs to have a word Someone to him. Someone needs to like, tell Kyrie that I'm and, not fine with it. <laughs> yeah, he needs to tell him like he was telling him about the the, the goddamn post-ups and, and maybe have a word to him about that. But look, in saying that, I'm, I'm comfortable because there's a part of me that's sort of thinking, just when I'm, before I went on the pod and just went to the bathroom, and I was like, look, Always good thoughts in the bathroom. It's a known thing. Uh, you always get the zen. There's just, I don't know, something about the fluorescent lights. But um, I was sort of thinking, I'm like, okay, Right now, Kevin Durant is at his best. And what did I say? Oh, Nip, well, he's improving to his best. He's in the 90s, whatever. What did I say on the preseason pods with you and Matt and Nolan and everyone else? I'm like, if Kevin Durant is the, one of the best players in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets have the best chance of winning a championship. That's where the impetus lies. I need to stick to that. Now, the little things around the wings about defensive principles, about turnovers, about rebounding, those are at least somewhat correctable. And if they aren't going to be correctable, then it could prevent the Nets from winning a championship. But and Sean Marks think, lost times to make a trade. And look, I think that that needs to happen, whether it's George Hill, whether it's Aaron Gordon, or or whoever else on the roster. You know, throw 85 second round picks to uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and maybe like a lightly protected first for, for George Hill. Get that dude in like an ASAP. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that that's um, something that could quite easily change things. But yeah, in terms of the timeouts, Nick. You know, what did you think about Kyrie calling the timeout? Are you going to be, uh, give me some Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, Kendrick Perkins thing. Is it Kyrie? No, I like it. I think it was great. I think it's what you need to do. If obviously, I thought this way in the last podcast, like, yo, if they, if you don't know what you're doing, you literally don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You can't fix it yourself. Like if you literally don't know, it's like, okay, Jack, I need you to answer this, this uh, question about U.S. history. You don't know the answer. You're not magically going to know the answer. You know what I mean? Like Kentucky. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like if you don't know, you don't know. It's not like it's not like you can pass it along mentally. <laughs> like Yeah. That's no, it's it's a really good point, Nick. I wanted to dive deep into some of the players. Kevin Durant's performance tonight. Um 15 shots, get 28 points, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. Love when he gets there, you know, and he shows that aggression. Kyrie was also 8 of 8 from there. I thought that their mentality in getting better shots and, and forcing the issue, they took that advice on board and, and, and probably watched the film, as, as Steve Nash was alluding to. I thought that he was, other than the six turnovers tonight, I thought it was... It, this is Kevin Durant, Nick, because he is a supreme passer, and that was something that developed in Golden State. He, he is so damn long, and he can defend, and he can get a board whenever a board is required. And he's... He's insane as a shot maker. I mean, two of seven from the three-point line wasn't necessarily the best, but you know, he's. I remember we saw a, a stat from our friend Seth Partner, who's appeared on the outlet before, sort of saying that Kevin Durant hasn't had an uncontested three-point shot on the season, and before heading into tonight, he was shooting fifty percent from three on the season. That's probably going to go down a little bit now, but 
man, Kevin Durant is he's getting damn close to the Kevin Durant that we know and love. He's really, really close. Yeah, he's really, really good. Some of the shots. Okay, so there's a shot I've been waiting for him to make, and I don't think he made it all season until tonight. Going the left. Layup one? Yeah, the running layup. He missed it yeah. about five times this year, and that's a yeah. shot we know that he makes. He yeah. got that shot down, and I'm just like, you can't defend that. There's nothing you can do. It's impossible because it's like, I don't know, when you're growing up and you play one-on-one and that one kid has a shot that you just can't defend, like that's Kevin Durant against the NBA players. Like that's what he does. And Jack, do you think that maybe he's not fully taking over because he's kind of still getting his conditioning right? And maybe that's why he's kind of letting Kyrie do a little bit more? Or do you think it's more of a Kyrie thing? I think it's a little bit of column A and column B. And I also don't think it's a Kyrie thing. I think it's him wanting to you know assert himself as a teammate and as a leader and as a passer you know to have seven assists and after the performance the other night where he had what was it eight assists you know a near triple double against the atlanta hawks as well you know he's showing a complete nature to his game and i think that you know it's almost it's almost a bevy of riches to have Kyrie irving and kevin durant you know who's going to take the last shot you know a lot of teams would be like man uh, I don't know who I want they to They both got it tonight time. and missed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, um, look, I don't think that's going to happen more than once. I don't think that's going to happen more than once this season. I think that, you know, there's a learning experience that will come from this. And I'm hoping KD is like to kite, uh, man, don't take that shot next time, man. Just drive on him. Because um, they were getting to the line. Like I said, you know, they had 20 free throws between them. And the and, refs were getting a little whistle happy at the end of the fourth, too. You know what I mean? They were calling fouls that were probably a little touchy. Yeah, it, it seems to me that, you know, and I think even if Kyrie Irving didn't at least push the issue because one of his greatest skills and maybe he, his greatest skill and, and one of his most elite skills out of every other player in the history of the NBA is his handle. And he can split defenses and he can carve defenders into spots where it's just like, I can get to the, I can get off the glass here. I can hit a bank shot. I can hit a 10-foot fadeaway or whatever. Whereas if he settles, he's bailing out the defense, like you mentioned, Nick. But yeah, Kevin Durant, master performance. And look, Kyrie Irving was pretty damn good himself, you know. I would just points. say this about Katie before we go to Kyrie. Uh, I I like the way that Katie ran the offense better. Yep. I yep. like what the do you way that he facilitates a little bit more. Say that again, okay. Jack. What do you so? But what do you in reference in comparison to like Kyrie? Yeah, in reference to Kyrie, I think Katie is more like natural in like setting up the offense at times, where Kyrie gets a little bit more like. You said, you know, he just gets his head down. He's looking at the basket, and that's what he's going to do. And sometimes that leads to, like, a little assist to Jared Allen down low or something like that. But I just feel like Kevin Durant just had a better feel and flow when things were kind of going to spots they were going to go to. You know what I mean? Like, KD's more likely to go into the post, get the double team, and throw the pass out to Joe Harris across on the other side of the court. Yeah, that pass to TLC and some of the passes that he has to to – to Torian Prince, the the sort of whip out passes when he got someone in the post, the Torian Prince or Joe Harris, that's happened a lot this season. And there aren't many like that sort of pass that KD threw to TLC at the end of the game. That's something you'd see like from LeBron James and Nikola Jokic, yep. like absolutely pinpoint and precise. Um, awesome from him, and hopefully it continues to grow. And hopefully that scoring, you know, we see him taking the twenty shots. And you know, I'm I'm fine if Kyrie's taking twenty shots, but if Kevin Durant's only taking fifteen, then the offense isn't doing enough because what Karis Avert had two less shots than him, and obviously that their minutes are split up in in a certain form or way. So, but yeah, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. He's he's getting damn close, and I know who he is, and I'm sure everyone else, if they're watching Brooklyn Nets <laughs> basketball, definitely knows who he is as well. Um, check out the GIF if you if you don't know. But Kyrie Irving, Nick, what did you think of his performance tonight? Um, 30 points, uh, did have 10 assists, five boards, two blocks, two seals, uh, five turnovers, two or seven from the three-point line, eight of eight from the free-throw line. 
I did like his defense when he wasn't, you know, getting cooked in the post. Yeah, no, his defense at times was aggressive with his hands, and I think a lot of the other Nets could learn something about that and just making the offensive player a little bit more uncomfortable. And he did that to Bradley Beal a couple times, and he had to pick up his dribble and pass it out, and that's a win. You know what I mean? And, like, I know I've probably felt like a little critical of Kyrie throughout this podcast, but I thought he had a great game. You know what I mean? I just would love to see Kevin Durant get the ball a little bit more at times, especially when some of the, like, pull-up threes or whatever it might be, when you have KD has freaking, like, Davis Bertans or literally anybody on the Washington Wizards roster, I feel good about KD having a one-on-one against them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have you feel comfortable with nearly anyone in the league having a yeah. one-on-one against Kevin Durant. If he has a one-on-one and he's not getting doubled, you know that he's going to make something happen. Um, the I would start say Kyrie, is... though, I'll say this, it's been interesting. I like can't recall many shots at the rim. A lot of them were just mid-range like pull-up shots. Oh, I, I remember a couple, some of his layups and some of the calls that he's not getting, you know, when he splits the defense and, you know, yeah. he, is a, he is a master at, at reading the pick and, and knowing which direction to go and how to make the defense look silly. You know, the, yeah. the John Collins uh, ankle breaker, you know, the, I mean, the Kevin, would, it'd be remiss of us if um, oh, not God. to mention the fact that DeAndre Jordan cost us the highlight of the season, Nick. Yeah, and even if freaking DeAndre, like, doesn't hold him, like, Thomas Bryant comes over a little sooner, he's still probably late, so the poster's even better. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God, that, that like, I know I feel crazy saying this, but I feel like it could have changed the game. <laughs> like, look, it's just that big of a men- momentum play. Yeah, and look, Kevin Durant, there was a lot of heart-in-your-mouth moments, gut-in-your-mouth moments, because, you know, he fell, and, you know, he's taken the, the – he's trying to posterize everyone, but – Man, I thought he was just, more aggressive driving tonight than he's been in the past. I don't know if that's just the Wizards being trash or like he just felt more aggressive. I, I thought that there was something that was probably looked at in, in the film. Um, I, I think that, you know, we heard Steve Nash say that they didn't have a practice, but they were watching a lot of film. And I think that, you know, the, the offense was really sluggish in, against the Atlanta Hawks and they were settling for a lot of shots. But, um, man, if you want someone to test an Achilles, um, the, the way that Kevin Rand did it tonight... I feel like if he wakes up with a, a slightly sore calf or, or whatever tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised. And maybe he gets rested in the next game. Yep. I'm not 100% sure. But he put everything out there tonight. And he showed the, the mentality to, to, to pull the nets over the line. And, you know, if there were some other guys who were supporting him a little bit better, then maybe we, we would have got it done. Yeah, he played good enough to win. Kyrie Irving played good enough to win. Those guys aren't the reason the Nets lost. You know, we can talk about Landry Shaman. You know, we already talked Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. Obviously, Karis LeVert didn't have a good game. If he makes two more of his shots that he typically could make, they could win. But Shaman's kind of feeling like a non-factor out there at times, Jack. Only one shot tonight, two assists. Just didn't really feel him offensively and defensively. Uh, Washington attacked him. Yeah, and if you, you're not... If you can't provide an intangible factor to your game and you tangibly need the ball in your hands, whether it's to shoot, whether it's to drive or whatever, you know, not to say that Rodion's chorus is the answer, but Rodion's always provides a spark with his energy. Not always, but that's what, that's been almost yeah, like Yeah, it a, could be good a, or bad with Rodion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There can be too much energy or, or, or in that sort of respect. Bruce Brown is a guy that we know can just provide intangible energy and hustle. Those sort of guys should be the eighth and ninth man on the, in the rotation. It shouldn't be the guys that need the ball in the hands, need to get three-point shots up, especially in a, in a lineup with Karis Avert when he's trying to get his offensive flow going. And he's also trying to you know make sure that Torian Prince is getting his shots and Landry Shamit's getting his shots. So, look, I think Bruce Brown should be getting minutes over Landry Shamit at this point in time because he's not executing well enough. And, look, he was the worst player if you're looking at plus-minus, minus 15 and 17 minutes. 
you know, it's it's not good enough. And um, I think Landry Shaman has had some decent enough performances, but it's not to say that he has earned himself a rotation spot at this point of the season. Yes, the Nets gave up stuff for him and they gave up a first rounder or whatever, but sometimes you just got to play basketball and you just got to, you know, give minutes when they're due and, you know, go with what, what you think will actually get you the win, not necessarily, you know, back the guy in. If he's not, if he's not executing, he's not executing. Yeah, I mean, like, and also if you play someone in the first half and they don't play well, you can play someone else in the second half. It's not against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. someone should let Steve Nash know that because I feel like sometimes that's just as simple as it could be for the Nets. You know what I mean? Just switch it out, try somebody new. We saw TLC catch fire from three tonight. That was a nice sight, four or five. But, like, this is the issue with TLC, and this isn't against him. It's just, like, the Nets have him in their starting lineup to be a defensive stopper, but he's not a defensive stopper. He's a solid defensive player but he's not going to shut down Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook. No, and I thought that his game tonight was really good. And I'm not expecting him to be Marcus Smart or whatever. Yeah. I'm expecting him to show some capable enough defense and hit the three-point shot. And if he's doing one of those two things... And running the floor, which he did really well. Yeah, I thought that if this is put our TLC as a starter... That's what we need from him. You know, he's not going to hit four or five going forward. And, you know, he's not going to do all those things. But, you know, there was even a play where, like, he drove and he, like, did the dump-off pass or the kick-out pass to Joe Harris. I can't remember which one it was. But there was just – that was a really pretty team play. And I I thought that he had a really good game tonight. And I think that his offense is going to be better than his defense because he can can just look wet from three a lot of the time. You know, he can be Clay Thompson from there. But at the same time, you know, it's – it's a hit and miss. It's a it's a make or miss league, as as they say. So look, TLC, great game from him tonight. I thought the starters were, were really good, obviously outside of DeAndre Jordan and you know Joe Harris. You know this is what you this is the Joe Harris game that I want and need and and always want and need from him. You know, sixteen points, six eleven from the field, four of eight from three. That's what I want him taking. I want him taking seven or eight threes. He should be leading the team in that department. I had a couple of steals, had a couple of boards as well. Um, you know, and you know KD is. You know, the confidence is is continuing to grow. You know, he's like, you know what, I'm an, I'm damn important to this team. My my shots, my defense. You know, I need to help this team win. And man, um, the, another really solid game from Joey Buckets. Yeah, offensively, you know, Joe was as good as you can be. You know, the four four of eight, and then just you know playing his role in the offense. I think defensively, like we kind of mentioned earlier, it's going to be tough for him. Like it's going to be tough because they just don't. They don't really have good defensive players in their starting lineup other than Kevin Durant. Like, DeAndre Jordan is not a good defender. Kyrie Irving can play defense sometimes. TLC is, you know, solid. And Joe Harris is as good as he can be for his limitations. So it's just like that's just going to be a consistent problem the starting lineup runs into unless they develop some amazing cohesion defensively. Yeah, and that's why I think Bruce Brown should be there because Jared Allen... It's weird because, like, the two best defense, at least known defensive commodities on our roster are coming off the bench or not playing. Jared Allen is by far the best defensive player on the team right now. He is an elite defensive player. And the Nets defense would be literally disgusting if they did not have Jared Allen. It would just be like high school oh, level defense. It'd be so bad. I, I saw a tweet from you. I saw a tweet from Matt. I saw a lot of tweets which was like, man, imagine this team without Jared Allen. Uh, they would be Atlanta Hawks times 100. They would be Atlanta Hawks and whatever other team is 30th and 29th in, in defensive rating because, man, he is he's a marvel. And, and we've, we've talked about him a little How bit. How much in. do you think would change, Jack, if they did start Jared Allen and Bruce Brown? And let's hypothetically say TLC is the one that gets removed. I think that there's a better balance, Nick. I think yeah. that the offense might lose a little bit and you might not get like a 40-point in the first quarter, but you're not going to give up 35, you know, with Jared Allen out there. 
you know, the, uh, and the minutes distribution tonight with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan is exactly what you want to see. Jared Allen gets 25, DeAndre Jordan gets 15. But like, you know, and Jeff Green gets 16. You know, I've mentioned before, and I put out a, a tweet that did a, a little bit of traction, you know, when Jeff Green is out there on the floor, the Nets have like a 90 defensive rating. You know, yeah. and like we mentioned, you know, you play Jeff Green, you play Kevin Durant, you play Jared Allen. That's your three best defenders that are in the rotation right now. You put Bruce Brown out there. You know, I think that in the preseason, we were so tantalized by the offensive lineups. You know, put Landry Shaman and Joe Harris out there with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and, and Jeff Green. Man, that's going to be salacious. But at the same sort of time, the Nets are struggling on both ends of the floor in, in certain respects. And I think that they need to change a, a few things. And whether that's Jared Allen, it's not that Jared Allen isn't limited to like 25 minutes. It seems that, that this might be the most minutes that he's played this season. And while I understand Jeff Green getting the the, uh, the majority of the minutes at, at the end of the game, I thought that Steve Nash again showed a, a rigidity where it's just like, okay, you know, you can do defense offense. You can yeah. play Jared Allen here and you can play Jeff Green on the other end. You can do that You can and you can switch. And, and I, I just thought that that was, uh, hopefully these are learning moments and, Going forward, you know, Steve Nash, because we saw in previous games, you know, my tirade about DeAndre Jordan. And then the next game, Jared Allen plays a large majority of minutes and is out there in the closing moments, get a clutch rebound. Gets a clutch rebound against the Atlanta Hawks, Nick. What did the Nets need tonight? A clutch rebound. And we didn't have get it. Just, no. Jared Allen wasn't there. He just wasn't there. Yeah, and I think even starting Jared Allen, like I know everybody's talked about it and we've said it too, is like more important he gets the minutes. But it's also like kind of setting the tone defensively to start the game. And he's also, like we talked about, the offensive rating is better with him on the floor than DeAndre Jordan. So it's not yeah. even like you're losing anything offensively. If anything, you're just a better freaking team with Jared Allen on the floor. And you just are going to start the game better. And I think in some aspects it matters. Like rhythm in basketball is a thing. You know what I mean? And if you have momentum and it kind of carries over. And I think DeAndre is going to look a lot better against backup centers than he is against starters. You know what I mean? That's just more likely to happen. I don't think he's going to be great. Or maybe it's more Jeff Green backup center. I don't care. Just I think like Jared Allen just needs to have more of an impact. And I think like it's early on, but Steve Nash is kind of getting a little cute with things. Yeah. I mean, he's a cute man. He looks good. He's got the nice mask. His hair's looking nice. But man, yeah, we need to see, you know, some some real, uh, you know, purpose, some real sort of, you know, not necessarily reacting to things, but being proactive. It seems that, you know, and I think that a lot of guys sometimes like we sort of said there's too much proactivity it's just like doing too much but the the balance will come and hopefully it comes against the utah jazz nick and i guess what we have the luxury of sort of looking forward a little bit we've discussed all the quotes and we've heard from KD, Kyrie. we've discussed what we think needs to change you know would you start jaron Allen against rudy gobert though nick you know we know that deandre jordan is that sort of bruiser type is this the type time to do it and then the game after we've got Joel and beat in the 76ers yeah i would definitely probably do deandre against a bead Rudy's like, like he's obviously physical, but he's also like not super quick, but he uses his strides pretty well to move from spot to spot. So like I could see him cooking DeAndre's ass too on those oops. Like that's going to be a problem for the Nets because that's one area they've been absolutely terrible. I don't know if it's the scheme or whatever it is or people not rotating. Whenever the big helps, <laughs> there's automatically an open rim. You know what yeah. I mean? No one rotates under the rim to help. Like KD has done it occasionally, but if he has to defend somebody else, out and that's not his spot to rotate what are we doing here like and also i think like deandre jordan doesn't know what's up there's one play gotham's reckoning tweeted it out i forget who is guarding oh. you know what i'm talking about find it. You, you talk through it and i'll find it Rui, i think is in the post and deandre is trying to help and he's standing behind the guy defending in the post 
He's just standing there, and Thomas Bryant is under the rim, and he's like has Kyrie trying to come over from weak side to get in front of Thomas Bryant. But DeAndre is doing absolutely nothing but just standing in the freaking paint. Yeah, he's literally in no man's land. And like we can we can forgive someone sort of being doing too much or overhelping and yep. and that sort of thing. But DeAndre Jordan is n- neither underhelping or overhelping. He is he's no help. helping the other team. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it literally is. It's. It's something that needs to change, and I, I just don't, I don't know what what he's doing. He's he's not playing like an NBA basketballer. Like it's it's really really poor from him. And okay, yeah. So we've got I've got the video here. So it's Rui on TLC in the post. He's posting him up, and DeAndre Jordan is in the middle of the lane while Kyrie Irving is trying to guard Thomas Bryant and also Denny Abdia out on the perimeter. It's just like why Rui you doesn't double- even have a foot in the paint, right, Jack? Rui's not even in the paint yet. No, no, he's outside the paint, you know, yeah. and it's not like he's in. He's not like he's got deep position down low where you can double and then also get the rebound in effect. He's just like he's he's in. He's an ineffective basketballer right now, Nick. So, yeah, there's that's one thing that could easily change. Give Tiano Jordan twelve to ten minutes or single digit minutes. Jared Allen starts or doesn't start or whatever, and Jeff Green gets a little bit of a bump into the sort of twenties. I think that whenever he's out there, he makes a positive impact. I, I really like his game and you know he, his body on um Rolo. Um, just like you know, Damn, man, that was tough, bro. Both ends he's, of the floor. He's thick, man. You know, Jeff yeah. Green's pretty thick. He's strong and he's stronger so, than Jared I, Allen. Yeah, I I want to I want to see Jeff Green minutes. You know, the bump up a little bit if especially if we maybe don't see Kevin Durant in, in one of these two games against Philly. Uh, or Utah. He deserves... He's playing better than Torian Prince. We haven't chatted about Torian Prince because, man, Torian Prince is getting into some of the old tendencies where it's just like, all right, why are you taking... Turnovers, bro. Yeah, like, how do you... Like, why are you the one getting turnovers? Like, Kevin Durant, I can understand because he deserves to have the ball in his hands and Karis Redd, I can understand a little bit too, but there should be no reason why you have three turnovers. Yeah, like, either you should have an open lane to drive and go for a dunk or drop it off to Jared Allen or you should just pass the ball before you drive because it's just not your game. Like... And I think uh, we kind of talked about helping the second unit, maybe some Jeff Green center minutes too for the second unit. And that's why starting Jared Allen would make more sense because then you open up the paint a little bit for Karis Avert to get to the rim a little bit more because then you're playing five out. You know what I mean? But obviously if teams aren't respecting Torian Prince, he, he's starting to hit his three-point shots, which is huge. But like, just stick to that. And that's why I think it's so important to get another creator on that second unit because then they can also create for Torian Prince and he can just do what he does pretty well shoot threes you know what i mean last year wasn't great but for his career he's a pretty good three-point shooter yeah yeah he needs to simplify his game and you know we've asked for that rebound uh, shoot threes and try defensively uh yeah um george hill please save us um but we had talking nets and, and another a quote from Kyrie, and he's looking comfortable i'm liking i'm liking the hat that he's wearing in, in the post game uh, the object of the regular season is to get better prepare for the 16 wins in the playoffs Kyrie on the early season struggles you know, I've had that mentality a little bit as well, Nick, because, look, we discuss players that we know are going to be able to contribute in the playoffs. You know, Katie and Kyrie, obviously. Jared Allen, you know, I'm still iffy on... I'm, hopefully, Karasovic does find his footing. Joe Harris definitely is going to be there. TLC can pinch hit. But now we need to continue finding those guys that can be five to eight in the rotation. We need to, you know, get a, a George Hill. We need to test out a, a, a Tyler Johnson or a Rodan Kuritz or a Bruce Brown. This is the time where we need to figure that stuff out and experimentation is okay, but you know, not experimenting and not showing proactivity and not changing things isn't enough, especially if the, the losses keep happening and the defense keeps being lackluster. 
Yeah, I think the defense, like, not having any improvement from the last game to this game is the most frustrating thing. And some of the rebounding stuff, obviously, is extremely frustrating. It's like you said, you know, try out some different stuff, too. And obviously, you're not going to necessarily test new defenses until you are able to complete the defense that you're doing. But it's definitely just been a tough situation all around. And so many moving parts. And like we said, we got such a good taste of the Nets to start the season the first two games that the fact that they're playing at this level is frustrating because we've already seen some high peaks from them. Yeah, yeah, I think that because we know how good this team can be. And that's why we've had frustration levels for so many of other these players, like Jared Allen in the past where he's not showing the physicality and the determination on the boards and such. It does it does get better. You know, it's, you know, Kyrie Irving's full quote is out there. You know, Chris Mulholland of Nets Daily has put it out there. Michael Scotto as well. Um, I, I, I think that... After talking through this and uh, excuse some of my energy and maybe criticisms in the earlier part of the podcast, but you know sometimes it takes me 45, 50 minutes to, to talk through it with my guy to have a bit more of a level head and realize that it's game six, game seven. And I, I understand that the timeline, next Twitter is burning to the ground right now. And uh, I certainly didn't help. And probably when I put out some of the, the quotes that I've put from this podcast, it's not going to help either. But I think that the Nets are in decent enough footing, you know, They've shown enough to for me to feel like that they're still there or thereabouts to be, you know, a, a genuine contender going forward. But um, there's still plenty of work and room to maneuver. And obviously, like we, I feel like we're not appreciating Spencer Dinwiddie enough too. Is like the fact that they just lost one of their best players. Like he's a top five player in the team. If you want to have him third, you want to have him fourth, you want to have him fifth. He's a top five player in the Nets, and he's gonna probably be out for the season. I mean, we already saw Spencer rehabbing, which is like amazing. Like, yeah. it's literally ridiculous, and it's, like, so awesome, and it speaks to his work ethic and what he's trying to do, and I truly think that Spencer is doing everything in his goddamn power to be healthy by the end of the season, that if the Nets are in the final, so he can get in there. Not to say that I'm sure the Nets would let him in or he can do that, but I'm sure that's his goal just based off of all the actions we've seen from him, and that's going to hurt. Like, he's a really good player, and, like, we've shit on his defense before, but even his defense and the athletic athleticism he provides this team is going to be missed. And even some of just like the ability to rebound at his size, not to say that he did it consistently, but he could help in that area because he just has a little bit more length than some of the other guys we play, like a Landry Shamit, even a Joe Harris, like Spencer's just a better athlete than those guys. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm, it's, and I'm really, really happy for him. And I just hope that he's healthy going forward and he's happy and, yeah, that knee gets better. You know, he's he's a literal Iron Man knee. You know, he's yeah. literally Iron Man, and, and he's showing. Might be that. a bionic knee. <laughs> ah, yeah. I'm, there's a there's a part of me that just thinks that you know we, we saw people doubt you know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant especially, it's just like oh, he's coming off an Achilles. He can be maybe the tenth best player, and he's just like you know what, you know who I am, and maybe Spencer Dimity can can sneak us and, and and surprise us all. I really really hope that he can. Uh, I wanted to, before we do end up with this one, Nick, Christian Winfield um, has a cool tweet, um, and he's put this out there. Scene, Tyler Johnson and Reggie Perry on opposite ends of the floor well after the game getting shots up. Jeff Green comically casually strolls by in what looked like a velour sweatsuit, smoothie in one hand, <laughs> plate of food in the other. Jeff Green is the man. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last show. I think I really like his leadership, his swag, and I, I think he can really help this team. But, Jack, I do have a question for you, and obviously this is super early, so it's kind of just like, almost an irrational question, but if you had the choice of trading for an upgrade at power forward or getting a true power forward on this team or trading for George Hill, which are you doing? Oh, it's a good point, Nick. I don't think a true forward, power forward is out there. You know, it's Aaron Gordon. Well, like, okay, like an in-betweener, like a guy that can actually play power forward minutes consistently at a starting level. Like Kevin Durant obviously can, but another guy. 
Uh, see, look, I'm comfortable enough with Kevin Durant and Jeff Green as sort of just the, the wing guys and Toy and Prince in the regular season to do some stuff here and there. I'm fine with that. I think that the one thing that would help the team most is a guy like George Hill, a guy who can play defense at, at the point of attack and, and on the perimeter, can be a, a, a decent enough playmaker like Spencer Dinwiddie and a serviceable enough playmaker, you know, also ease the burden of a, of a Karis Avert as well. I just think that he ticks a few more boxes. I think that either or I'm not going to be unhappy with. And look, Nicholas Batum's doing some pretty awesome things with the Los Angeles Clippers <laughs> right now. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that, that could happen. But the Nets do have their mini MLE still available. That's sort of $5 million or so. Your Trevor Ariza is still out there as well as a guy you can certainly add to the depth of the wing rotation. George Hill and Trevor Ariza, man, I, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that it happens because that, that would solve a, a, a heap of issues and not necessarily... Just make it outside. Oh, yeah, it's a lock now. It's a lock. The Nets still need to do a lot of things right to, to get to the pointy part of the season and, and get a lot of things um, sorted out. But you know, th th that's what I would prefer at this point in time. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm leaning actually the other way. I think uh, like some of that stuff can be corrected or maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to be fixed in terms of like the secondary playmaking, especially when you get into the postseason. But I think physically at times the Nets just have some issues with some of the guys that they're playing and, and Aaron Gordon could maybe help with some of the rebounding, especially just comes to mind is like Rui Hachimura, Davis Bertans, um, you know, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, John Collins, John Collins. like he has the physicality to match up with those guys. And also has the switch ability to switch on other guys and he can help in the rebounding department. And he also provides you an athlete. And I think like Spencer doing what he's not playing kind of hurts the nets in the lack of athleticism of this team. You know what I mean? Where you're looking at great athletes on this team. It's really Jared Allen. Like Karis Levert's a pretty good athlete, but he's not a guy that like maxed out at the combine. Nick Claxton's another great athlete, but he's not healthy right now. So I think like they're maybe missing some of that athleticism at some of the positions, especially like, the role player positions where like OKC has a million of those super athlete guys where like the Nets, I think, could maybe use some of them. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Reggie Evans, bring him back. Maybe give me some Quincy, <laughs> give me some Quincy AC, Nick. You know, that, I no. used the Quincy I'm, AC gif the other day. <laughs> I love it. It's one of the best. That's where he's just jumping up and down. Um, I did three-point dance one where he's like shooting. You know what I'm talking about? Love, 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 love that one. So um, look, in saying that, I think that's... Look, there's a, a lot of uh, hyperbole and irrationality that happens after, you know, one loss or whatever. But if these issues continue to pertain themselves in 5, 10, 15 games, that's when the irrationality, you know, has more validity. But at this point in time, I think that it's nice to get it out there and, you know, throw shade at a lot of players and coaches' way. But at the end of the day, this team's in a decent enough spot. And, you know, defense, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, I'm confident that the work can and will be done. No team is perfect in you know, after seven games of the season. Yeah, look how bad the Nets were last year after seven games. You know what I mean? Their defense was a no-show. So I feel like we really can't make solidified takes about this team and probably into almost February. You know what I mean? Or maybe 15 games into the season, something like that. So they, they actually can execute their schemes and what they're supposed to do. And then we actually can tell if they can do it or not. Because right now, it's a combination of lack of execution and not knowing what you need to do and lack of team cohesion. You know, across the board, there's so many other elements that really prevent us from analyzing this team in the way that we want to. Yeah, and look, we'll continue analyzing them <laughs> and probably providing too much hyperbole and irrationality as I just uh, alluded to. But um, look, I'm, I'm in a decent enough spot and sometimes, again... This podcast, uh, it'd be therapy sometimes for me. Yeah. I mean, I think also it sometimes is good to analyze it. And like you said, read some of the quotes and trying to get a feel for it. But as always, Jack, a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And you catch us on all streaming platforms.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.